good morning, good evening, or good afternoon. Hello, hello, and welcome to Everybody Hates English, Professor Moore's official, unofficial composition podcast. I am, of course, Professor Moore, and I am here to guide, teach, mould, chat silly things, and hopefully give you some interesting and usable information. So this episode of Everybody Hates English is the second slash and third part of the English 1302 lecture on cultural narratives. So before we move any further, again, if this is just for comp two, so if you're enrolled in English 1301, you know, stop listening because this isn't for you. Now, for my wonderful Comp 2 students, this will serve as more depth for the introduction and overview that you've already had. We've spent time talking about cultural narratives in general. You've done some some discussions and we've we've talked about this. Now we're going to go further into the topic and really discover and explore the different angles and uh, elements. So... As this is the second and third part of an existing lecture, we're going to continue to use cultural narratives to frame the course just like before. The second and third portion of the lecture still covers the same key student learning outcomes, teamwork, communication skills, critical thinking and personal responsibility. And just like before, even though we are focusing outward and on society, We use this topic, cultural narratives, and the conversations that we have about it to learn academic world concepts. So as we talk about cultural narratives, we'll also be learning things like research, critical thinking, and analysis. We'll use this theme to sharpen critical thinking. We're going to learn about ourselves and the world around us, and hopefully find out some new and more interesting things on this topic that you've already started to broach and that you had a good introduction to. So make sure that you are taking notes, paying attention, asking questions, getting ready to really learn about this new, you know, the new portion of this this lecture. So I think that's it. That's all I got to say. So let's get started. In the first part, we learned the big basic concepts of cultural narratives. A cultural narrative is a shaped story or idea stemming from an inherent, learned, lived identity or marker. Simply put, it's the story we tell ourselves and who we decide tells it. Now, when we say story or idea, it's so important that we're thinking of synonyms like belief or attitude. Even though this is an English course, We focus on composition and rhetoric, right? Hence the name Comp2. So when we talk about narratives, we're talking about the rhetorical connotations. So cultural narratives meaning beliefs, attitudes. Before we move further, let's make sure we really understand those concepts. So cultural narratives begin when a group of persons establish their sense of commonality as the truth. Commonality is how we group ourselves, be it race, sex, ethnicity, gender, religion, region, politics, education or economic status. Does it matter the group or what they have in common? 
As long as it exists, it's used as that cultural narrative. The commonalities become the truths that we use to centre our lives. Now, the key distinction and one of the two big essential flaws when it comes to uh, cultural narratives is that truth is not the same as fact. So we as a society accept a cultural narrative and belief to be fact when in reality it's not. It's just the truth you believe in. It's part of the reason right, why we hate when someone says, well, this is my truth. Because usually we're judging their truth by our own and recognising that the facts don't line up. There's a difference between their truths, our truths and what's actually happening, what's actually the fact. But those truths become our sense of normal. But remember, there's no such thing as normal. Specificity matters when it comes to cultural narratives because not everyone fits inside the accepted commonality or that cultural narrative. So it's really important, it's really important that you know what exactly you're talking about or referencing when it comes to the idea of a cultural narrative or even the group that is connected to it. While cultural narratives are absolutely universal, meaning that they exist everywhere, this course focuses on Western society and Western societal cultural narratives. For reference, Western society generally reflects colonised and Commonwealth regions of the world, specifically North America, both Eastern and Western Europe, and nations like Australia and New Zealand. I mention that here for just a couple of reasons, one being to make sure that we're thinking beyond our own borders, to think broader in our scope. It's also incredibly important to recognise that our focus does not diminish or dismiss Eastern society or their societal narratives, not in the slightest, completely equitable, completely equal. We're just limited in time, so that means we need to limit our focus. Students are strongly, strongly, strongly encouraged to go back and review the first portion of this lecture in full, but again, those are pretty much the basics. So let's move on to the more immediate and advanced aspects of our cultural narratives course theme and topic. Cultural narratives as a whole have two essential flaws. Now I recognise there are far more than two, but they really boil down to two big ones. Number one, truth is not the same as fact. Number two, commonality is not universality. We spent time in part one discussing the first essential flaw. Because truth is not the same as fact, often our perceptions are shaped by truths, or those cultural narratives, that are not factually accurate. We have a sense of normalcy, but again, right, no such thing as normal. Cultural narratives shift when society acknowledges that the second flaw exists and recognises that there are other perceptions of normalcy. First, let's talk about the second essential flaw. The second essential flaw, 
that commonality is not universality means that there are multiple groups and not all are included as quote-unquote common. Commonality means a shared idea or idea. Universality or universal means mass identity or idea. Just because something is shared does not mean that it's universal. For example, there's a commonality among music fans who, rightly so, love boy bands, but that love is not universal to all music fans, just those who enjoy boy bands. So I know, I know, that's a tough example because who, who doesn't love boy bands, right? Only the unfulfilled and the unstable. I know, I get it. But I also think that you kind of understand how the example works. Commonality, not universality. Not everything is in common when it comes to cultural narratives. Cultural narratives only are accepted as normal and true to certain subsets of people. Now, that subset of people can be large. They can even be the majority. It can seem like the group is universal. But even if there is one outlier, one person that does not fit into that cultural narrative, then it's not universal. The last two essential flaws can be summed up in one factually accurate statement. Cultural narratives are exclusive, not inclusive. And the thing about exclusivity is that exclusivity can only exist as long as those who are being excluded are unaware of it or are unable to change it. Now, students often want to think about cultural narratives in a historical context. And that totally makes sense, right? We are thinking about what used to be and what exists now, how we got from one point to the other. And while that's great and totally understandable, when it comes to this course, when it comes to the way that we are thinking about cultural narratives, I want you to think about history and these narratives with one simple caveat to understanding. That at one point in time, someone within the commonality knew that other narratives existed. Now that can be easy to understand when we're dealing with cultural narratives that relate to identities. We can see, yes, that someone would have known that another group or group of persons, another identity existed. But even is true when it comes to things like science, business, technology. No matter what, someone at some point in the commonality knew or suspected that the world was more than what it seemed. In fact, that's exactly why we have technological advancements. Someone looked at the world, said, I think it could be different and tinkered and changed and and experimented until they found a fact that was always in existence, but was discovered and now is commonly known. I mention that caveat as cultural narratives often rely on ignorance of the quote unquote big T, big O, the other. People accept truths as facts because it's what they've been taught And because the cultural narrative has existed for generations. 
So the cultural narrative, whatever it may be, gets ingrained and the shape seems set. Because of that, we in our contemporary settings assume, based on that false sense of normalcy, that it's, quote, always been this way. Something, these people, this idea, this concept, no, they never could have existed before. But that is simply not the case. That's just not true. That's just not factually accurate. Oftentimes, the outlier, the other, has always existed. Sometimes it was the prevailing cultural narrative of its time. Regardless whether it was discovered or undiscovered, the outlier has always been there. We know that cultural narratives are exclusive, but there are certain tactics used to protect that exclusivity. One common tool are logical fallacies. A logical fallacy is something that seems true, but is not factually accurate. It's shouting louder than the opposition in hopes that the other side isn't able to hear your own inaccuracies or so that those inaccuracies can be ignored. Now, with the invention of the internet, its own result of a changed cultural narrative, it's a whole heck of a lot easier to recognise these logical fallacies, yeah? To see and understand when someone is distorting fact to fit their truth. But even though the internet has made it easier, it doesn't always mean that it's easy or that we know how to spot these inaccuracies. There are a lot of tactics like attacking the person, not the argument, or using absolutes or extremes. These tactics that are purposely designed to stymie one's ability to separate fact from truth and to keep cultural narratives alive. We can all think of different examples or situations where we've seen logical fallacies used to dismiss fact and reality, to keep a cultural narrative alive and well. And the tricky and often unfortunate part is that these tactics often win. We use cultural narratives to paint the illusion of normalcy and grow comfortable. And listen, if we've learned nothing in the last few years... We all know that humans will do almost anything in order to maintain a sense of normalcy, especially deny or dismiss facts or even whole groups of persons. Conspiracy theories are another tactic used to keep cultural narratives alive and well. A conspiracy theory are caused by the desire to alter and manipulate reality to fit a usually fading or changing cultural narrative or commonly accepted personal comfort. We hold on to what we know and we use whatever we can to bend truths to match our cultural narratives. Whatever we can change, whatever we can make, tweak, so that it seems as if it could be true. Right. It seems like it's still in that reality, but honestly, it's not. It's taking that fact and trying its hardest to bend it to match a cultural narrative. But if I've said it once, I've said it a dozen times. There is no such thing as normal. And while it often takes and needs a concerted effort to concede a universal reality, Cultural narratives actually tend to be far more fragile than advertised. 
It often takes but a small change or chink in the armour to completely change or obliterate a cultural narrative. One of the largest yet overlooked consequences of cultural narratives is the reinforcement of ignorance, division and discrimination. Cultural narratives purposely banish groups of persons or ideas and replaces universality with commonality. We see or hear only with one voice or one message or opinion, attitude, belief, etc., and so we begin to believe, okay, this is it. That's all there is. There isn't any more. That attitude, which is super factually inaccurate, discriminates against minority and dissenting groups and aspects by essentially erasing them from the narrative. Cultural narratives purposely sacrifice the concept of the other, and uses tools like logical fallacies and conspiracy theories to create a sense of false normalcy that lulls the big picture society into a sense of comfort. Now that comfort dulls our senses a bit and we big picture lose the ability to hear the voices we've sometimes purposefully, sometimes incidentally left unamplified. So, what happens? If cultural narratives are so strong and have multiple varied tools to prolong their relevance and allegiance, how do we, as a proverbial society, ever have the opportunity to change or grow or adapt? The common denominator of all large cultural narrative shifts is that a group of persons, a fact or previously ignored attitude or belief gains the attention of the commonality and effectively communicates its value and or existence. In layman's terms, cultural narratives change when the other manages to grab the quote mainstream society's attention and proves their existence and importance. So when the outsiders get to knock on the window and everybody sees that's when cultural narratives shift. Cultural narrative shifts almost always need time and depth for change. As cultural narratives grow, the other voices fade and either don't recognise that they aren't heard or can't figure out the right frequency in order to be heard. They may be quiet, but they do exist. And then it's decades and eras and generations into a cultural narrative and boom, someone finally figures out a way to blow the dust away, right? When the rest of us were all busy listening to the same frequency, the people and ideas and aspects that have been existing but not thriving figure out a new wavelength and quote, suddenly we realise that there have been all of these voices and many more instruments to our song all along. Cultural narrative shifts are spurred and amplified through action and proof. Sometimes it's technological, 
Sometimes it's economical or political. A lot of times it's science. Physics and Galileo proved that the world wasn't flat. Monarchies and theocracies were the norm before democracies were up and running. And even then, right, the idea of unequaled, equaled representation sends us to ancient Rome and Greece, to Native American tribes and great warriors who existed on wavelengths before our current cultural narrative wavelengths we live on now even were a thing, right? These voices, these outsiders, quote, right, the other, it's not new. They've just are now in time. A lot of times when cultural shifts happen, people will bemoan the lack of normalcy and decry the other. The capital T they cry foul and say it's not fair to force new or strange or different onto them, right? The I've never heard of it, so it must be new and therefore wrong, right? But it's not new, it's just louder. Those people and rights and traditions and lives are just as old and equal and established Existing in the same world that you and I and we've all been living in. We just didn't hear them. This is usually by design. Remember, no matter how old or new a cultural narrative, at some point, someone in the common group knew or suspected that more existed outside the cultural narrative. But effort, time and tools will dull and train our senses away from that. Make us indifferent. And the indifference stems from the disconnect. It's easy not to care about what you don't know. When cultural narratives are confronted, it's often daunting and unpleasant for the common group. Growth and change feels like a tax when you've only ever acknowledged your own way of life. I mean, the earth was flat until it wasn't. And how in the now round world is that even fair? One day the earth was flat, the next is not. Suddenly we're saying there are facts that, yes, have always existed, but now we know they do. How can we expect people to rectify fundamentally changing their reality? Facts be damned. Cultural narratives condition us to only hear the voices with which we share a frequency, right? That commonality. Asking people to acknowledge facts they've never seen or heard, asking them to change their reality, it is a hopelessly ironic cruelty. Because if we can't hear someone else's existence, we as a society rarely can hear the suffering that our cultural narrative can cause to those different persons and attitudes. Those who exist outside, the other, right, are often wounded by that accepted cultural narrative. We're hurting people, but to stop would mean we wouldn't feel the same. So we don't stop hurting others. Now notice that I said wouldn't feel the same. 
I did not say, because it is not factually accurate, to say that stopping someone else's pain would hurt us. Universality only hurts those who seek to use exclusivity as a means of harm. For all intents and purposes, universality and inclusivity strengthen society as a whole and spur individual thought and growth. When cultural narratives shift, we lessen the inequality and inequity of those malign spaces. But we've got to want to do it. We have to understand that doing so doesn't hurt us, doesn't wound us. It changes our truth to match the factual reality that we've been living in, but ignorant of. All right, my humans, and with that, we've concluded Cultural Narratives Part 2. So, realistically, in big picture, at this point, we've covered most or the majority or all of the content of our course theme. So when it comes to cultural narratives, what they are, how they function, etc. at all, this is our big basic overview. At this point, we as individuals and as a class are going to start researching and looking into cultural narratives. We're going to take the big basic concepts and broad themes and, and lessons that we've been thinking about and talking about and applying them and seeing how cultural narratives exist in our world. We're going to research ones that are specific or we might talk about the, the shifts as well. All of this will kind of culminate in the end of the semester where we'll put the pieces together and figure out why in, you know, a an English course, a composition course, we focused on cultural narratives. Now, I think slash hope slash believe and pray that you smarty pants have been putting the pieces together already and you see how everything works. But if not, you'll hear from me maybe one more time. But for now, it's so important, humans, to make sure that you've taken exhaustive notes, right? The notes that you've taken from this lecture, you should be able to pass your notes to another human and they should be able to be successful based off of your notes. That's the kind of information you want to have. You'll also be moving forward and doing some more lectures and things like that. So get ready for more. But until then, I want you to go do something else. I want you to go do something good and don't get caught. Bye.